Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly sponsored by Audible. Audible is the premier audiobook store where you can pick up great books from a stack of different authors and read by some fantastic people such as Stephen Fry, who reads through the entire Harry Potter series. So if you're looking for Adventures of the Boy Wizard, The Boy Who Lived, you can check that one out. If you're up to date with your podcast for the week, you can, why not chuck on a good audiobook? And you can pick up a three, a 30-day free trial on us, thanks to Audible, by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash pixel sift you can grab yourself a free audiobook you can play it on anything that's got a headphone port or a speaker and uh, listen to the 180,000 titles that are available so that's audibletrial.com forward slash pixel sift Hello and welcome back to Pixel Sift. Every episode we dig into the news of the world of games development and culture and discuss the topics that matter to you. My name is Gianni and I'm joined by my co-hosts Mitch and Scott. This week on the show we're also joined by Andrew Freeth from Juicy Cupcake. Andrew, thanks for joining us. No worries, good to be here. Andrew, we're looking forward to hearing all about your game, Brief Battles, a little bit later in the show. But before we do that, what else are we checking out today, Mitch? Yeah, so for our first topic, we'll be looking at digital history, how some games are forgotten and others remain timeless. Yes, and to finish off, we'll be talking about the exclusivity effects. Can the perception of games be affected by their platform's exclusive nature? Good question, Scott. Let's find out, shall we, by jumping in. Yes, the games have been around now for a while and still in a very young form of media and classics are starting to come out of the woodwork. One of these games' all-time greats is StarCraft, which released almost 20 years ago. With an HD remake around the corner, it does beg the question, how does a game become a timeless classic? Well, the trick is, Mitch, is you just need to get a stack of Koreans to play it for 20 years and then that's how it becomes a classic. Oh, easy. Easy done. So, Andrew, I'm sure you're writing that one down just for your upcoming game. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting to, to think about why some games have that sort of uh, sort of cultural cut through that are able to sort of last the stretch of time. Some games only live on in the, the memories of, of others. Um, I'm curious to think as to, you know, why, why do we think it is other than, you know, having a huge sort of broad appeal that um, these things are able to, to sort of continue on? I think the the aspect of competitive play really helped StarCraft in the sense that people were still involved and wanting more of the game um, 
throughout the years because they just played it competitive and took it so seriously in Korea and honestly in America too and and the rest of the world I know I was playing it up until recently as well I mean the original version even though Starcraft 2 has existed for a while now um, still like the original version I played it for so much longer than you know you would generally play a game I guess as as far as it being in goes uh, but I mean Starcraft is is a kind of a except, exception in its own I think that was quite a stellar game and it was a little bit ahead of its time as far as uh, real-time strategies go at least I reckon yeah, I think it's really, really interesting in that you look at something like Blizzard, which is a huge, uh, huge company, which has heaps and you know thousands upon thousands of staff now um, that make these games sort of continue on. And they have really strong franchises and have done a really good job at kind of keeping those franchises alive and refreshing them as they kind of go through. Um, but there's lots of games. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier in the week where, you know, it, StarCraft was early enough. Uh, in the sort of gaming uh, cycle that it was an early pioneer and was able to live for 20 years. But it was at that point where sort of internet was starting to become pretty prevalent and a lot of people had uh, internet in their houses. And I think that sort of had a big impact on the ability for it to be able to sort of live on and go past this, uh, you know. uh, Yeah, no, absolutely. StarCraft was one of the first games I ever played online, uh, albeit through a very, very poor connection and did not do very well. But I think it was like that and Total Annihilation were like my first online games. In like one experience, you go from, you know, playing yourself inside to playing other people, getting beaten by heaps of other people. Uh, I blame my internet connections. And yeah, it it was a very important changing point, I think, for gaming culture. Andrew... Sorry, I th- Mitch. I think Blizzard's ability and willingness to keep supporting the platform as well. I believe the, I believe StarCraft was patched as recently as a couple of years ago. So, oh, really? So they were still patching it and still working on it and still dedicating resources to it for all this time. That Brood War expansion had me going for another <laughs> couple of years at least. Yeah, I think, uh, Andrew, I'm curious to see what you think about this, uh, where, uh, you know, we have sort of this idea where something continues on for a long time and, uh, you know, has this sort of legacy. What, what do you think is the, the winning factor? I think you guys have covered most of it. I think they were sort of pioneers in their time. And I think those really early quality RTS games really stood out, like Age of Empires alongside yeah. it. And they're a game that, like, even you can play competitively or you can play it by yourself for just a crazy amount of hours. Like you might jump in there for an experience and you might be playing for hours, but you've only played one or two matches. So like there's always more that you can explore and you didn't expect like in there. So you, you kind of still want to come back to it. You can never really play enough. Um, and I think like in that really tight experience that Blizzard delivered, like you just, you want to come back to it again and again. Um, I think, yeah, you can still play it today and it still holds up against everything else out there. Um, I think there's a few, like, there's not many games that can do it, but also you do kind of get those other local or other online multiplayer games that they do have that sort of endurance if they, I suppose, you can just, like, especially local multiplayer, like, you could go back and you can play things on the SNES or you could play things recent, like Overcooked, and I think those sort of things can kind of be timeless. You're not looking for a AAA aspect or something unique there. It's, it's on a smaller scale, but I think if you're looking for, like, a local collection of games, um, they all kind of hold up pretty well together. Absolutely. Um, Compared to some of the triple A's that die. Is that a a factor when thinking about making your own game, that having that sort of local aspect is a good way to keep it endure and, um, you know, make sure that it has a a place in people's hearts? Um, Yeah, I think there's a a smaller market for that local aspect. um, And we've been always told, like, don't make a local multiplayer game because it's not going to make the sort of sales or reach the big market. But, like, I suppose my love and other people that I know that love that sort of game, that is part of why we really wanted to make a 
Greece battles and move forward in that scene because it is a game that, say, in 10 years' time, someone might hopefully be uh, sitting there playing and laughing with friends and family. So, yeah. That's, that's it. There's, there's nothing quite wrong with local multiplayer. And we, we do hear, hear this kind of talk of uh, people getting pushed away from doing it for for lots of valid reasons. But at the same time, a lot of the most accomplished kind of classic games are or do have the ability to be local multiplayer, like the StarCraft like we are just talking about. And as you said, the other RTS that was huge, um, Age of Empires. Both of them, uh, well, StarCraft not yet, but both of them facing at least uh, HD re-releases. You don't get that for many games. Um, and I think a huge part of their success was the local multiplayer side of things. And it's not so much a don't do multiple, uh, local multiplayer. It's just if you're going to do it, do it so it's going to be great. It's going to do it so it's going to be fun and lasting. I think the prevalence of digital delivery has also helped a lot. Like these patches can be pushed live, and some games can even be re-delivered. Um, there's, have you mm-hmm. ever heard of a, of a of a thing called an Intellivision? Do you know what that is? Yeah, it's a really old console of some yeah, variety. Yeah, like so, Commodore 64 times. Yeah, so it's a Mattel electronics pro- uh-huh. property when they made a video games console, and it was in 1979 when this thing came out. Before. But in <clears throat> uh, recently on the Xbox 360, uh, well, not recently, on the Xbox 360, they've released some, there was a thing called Intellivision Lives, and pretty much it was kind of like an arcade kind of ROM that you could put on your Xbox 360 and it would play a certain collection of these games. That's great. I, th- I think gaming's been around for long enough. It's just got to the point where, you know, <clears throat> sorry, the idea of like retro and whatever is really cemented in. I mean, look at what we've got in the market at the moment. There's heaps of your old retro con- consoles and whatever. And you've got your the, the NES Classic Edition for, for one example. You know, we're just at the right amount of time away from when games were first coming out and being amazing that it's kind, you know it's cool to look back on them and people are going to start revamping them and yeah and introducing it to the Xbox 360 platform and console that's pretty amazing i think uh, you know there's always going to be your, your your big titles that are going to make this transition it's going to be you know no no problem for those but there there's going to be passionate people out there who are actually be keeping these these older titles together people who want to go out and collect every single yeah. uh, Nintendo Entertainment NES game that comes out every SNES game that comes out all of these things that existed in a time before the internet so they aren't easily transferable onto uh, other media sources and that some of those companies may not even exist anymore or the yeah. people that are working there may not even exist so who owns the IP of that and how do you re-release it if the people who in that thing are all spread across the world or there are working a different bunch areas of really good websites that do cater to like saving abandonware like um gra- game graveyard and game nostalgia and abandonia um <laughs> So, like you know, like you said, there's a lot of people out there that are those people that want and, to live on, and there are people interested in this history. Like you and I, yeah. Johnny, you and I had an argument a couple of months ago about the origin of Sega. Remember that? Yeah. And we were like, I said, Sega is actually an American company, and you said no. Didn't like that. And then Johnny didn't like that. But Sega <laughs> actually originated in Hawaii. No, oh, that's right. They made Hawaii. pinball machines. And then they moved over to Japan and yeah. made it huge. Um, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to see, but um, you know, I guess we'll see as they go along and, and what comes out of this. And there's always going to be more history to be discovered. Right now, though, we might jump into our next topic. Did you know Pixel Ziv is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the Pixel Ziv website. Now we're joined by Andrew Freeth from... Uh, South Australia's Juicy Cupcake. Andrew, I, I know you were practicing this before we jumped on the show, but can you tell us a little bit about your game, uh, Brief Battles, for people who may not have come across it before? 
Yeah, sure. So uh, Brief Battles, it's a couch gaming platform fighter where you fight your friends with super-powered underpants. Um, so these <laughs> underpants give you a variety of absurd combat powers. It's just a humorous social experience, great for catching up with friends. Um, and it's, I suppose I should paint a picture for those who are listening instead of viewing. Um, despite the underpants factor, it's, it's still a fr- family-friendly, cute game with like plump characters. It's not going to be like a little more uh, seedy, like you mount your friends kind of art style or something like that. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, it can it can be taken a bit of a different way online sometimes without some accompanying artwork or gameplay. Yeah, I um, think... Yeah, it's a, sorry, you go. No, I was going to say the art style does a very good job to kind of uh, paint it as something that can be uh, accessible for everyone. But we were talking a little bit beforehand that, you know, it's a strong tradition of, uh, you know, uh, underpants-related media out there. Like, we've got your Captain Underpants. Yeah. We've got your uh, The Day My Bum Went Psycho that I remember. Um, It's very Australian. It's very Australian, that one. I think... think (laughs) Toilet humour. Yeah, it's a bit of toilet humour that (laughs) everyone can enjoy on some level, no matter how old you are. Andrew, how did you get to the point uh, where you said, I'm going to uh, make this game, and, and how did your team kind of come together? Um, yeah, so it was it was pretty interesting. We've been sort of this two-man team that we have. Uh, we've been just kind of like working on uh, game jam ideas for the last few, few years to find that one project that we really wanted to continue with commercially. Um, we ended up making this far, far too um, ambitious concept with this original character we had, Kevin. Um, he was wearing like underpants and a cape and he's running around being pudgy and cute and uh, taking on this massive open world seamless uh, platformer adventure. And it was becoming pretty clear that that was a bit too um, ambitious, but we did build sort of the lore and the art style around that. Um, and it was the one thing that we're like, yeah, we want to continue this and uh, do something with it. Um, and we were kind of on the borderline between that or the, that sort of like multiplayer, I mean, the sort of gameplay um, interactivity that we created in a couch gaming experience, because we've always wanted to have a good couch game. Um, so we ended up scaling it back into that. We had like four of that same character in his underpants running around, battling each other, and we kind of got like the movement system right first and started looking at what sort of abilities they would um, need. And uh, we just thought, yeah, we'll embrace the power of the butt and uh, use your <laughs> underpants for power. Yeah. Embrace the power of the butt. That's a tagline. If I we're going to be using that. Yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> just take that one quote. Um, <laughs> Andrew, you, you said you've been working on sort of game jam sort of stuff um, before you kind of came to this idea and, and worked from there. And you were telling us a little bit earlier on that, you know, you work a, you work a day job as well and then you work a, a second day job making this game. Um, how has that been sort of balancing between, uh, you know, your normal work life commitments and then also this uh, this project that you're working on? Uh, it's definitely been a struggle. Uh, I would say that in the earlier years, we gave ourselves more of a, a life side of the balance as well, so we weren't going too crazy into it. But now that we've started sort of uh, making those third-party agreements and um, and looking at different platforms and releasing the launch, it's definitely taken more of our uh, our lives up in the end, I suppose, which it is a bit of a struggle and a strain. But um, family and friends have been supportive around us throughout it, and uh, we're reaching that sort of end point now where it's starting to pay off. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been worthwhile in the end. And hopefully next year we can uh, be in a comfortable position where maybe we're just, uh, yeah, spending the time required making the game and having actually a bit of a life around it as well. Maybe a few few games uh, sitting on the couch uh, of actually playing your game and uh, enjoying it? Definitely, for sure. Um, when you're talking about making kind of fun couch uh, multiplayer games and that sort of experience we talked about before, um, what are some of the really important things that you've kind of learnt or you've kind of come across as you've been um, showing your game off and also um, putting it in front of other people? Um, I guess it's, it's really been about uh, making sure that people can pick up the game uh, without any real 
struggle to sell it. We've kind of tried to make it so that we we have only really shown sort of one classic battle so far, but we've made the control sort of intuitive enough that you can really you can master it um, and become amazing, or you can just really jump in and play and have a laugh. You can have little kids get in there and um, they can still find it sort of hilarious um, and enjoyable and everyone still has a chance to do something. So you can use some of the more powerful underpowered skills or you can jump in there with, say, uh, your pant pound and just uh, crush people with your butt, essentially. So like, there's that sort of simplicity to it as well, that if people just want to do that sort of simple thing. And we've got some underpants-themed game modes as well, which are more about uh, the party side of it, I suppose, more of a party game rather than uh, battling each other. So, um, But, yeah, from taking it to events like PAX Australia, um, Avcon and RTX uh, this year, it's it's definitely been interesting to see how people react, um, especially the characters as well. I think one that one of the things that we try to really hone in on to have that sort of uh, unique humour in them and that, that personality. So they don't really have any voices or anything like that, but when you see, say, Professor Tubbins or uh, Kevin or Sparrow, you you generally get people that sort of uh, love their appearance appearance and try and grab a hold of them and want to be those characters and argue over them when they're in the character select screen. That's the kind of thing we've been after, trying to build that sort of our personality behind the characters without them even saying a thing. So. so, Andrew, we're speaking of your characters. Which one's your personal favourite? Personal favourite? Oh, man. Um, I would say Professor Chubbins. I think it's more <laughs> of a favourite to not always play as him or sort of um, maybe be battling him, but like people generally like always shout hatred at Professor Tubbins. I feel like whoever <laughs> plays Professor Tubbins is usually the best player. Um, the, the characters don't have any unique power themselves. It all comes from the other fans, so it happens on the fly, so you can't <laughs> have someone that, like, steals that character, so they're going to be the best. Like, um, you run into a match, and it's always going to be random. You, like, run towards some presents, and they'll give you a random pair of underpants, and that could change at any time, because someone could be grabbing a new present, or someone could be running at you that suddenly has an ability that you didn't expect. Um, yeah, but Professor Tubbins, he's definitely... Always good. Definitely up there. I like Kevin. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin speaks good. to me. <laughs> what does that say about Mitch, Andrew? Uh, if Kevin speaks to him, what sort of player is he? <laughs> What's he saying? All right. Kevin's confident, for sure. Uh, <laughs> it's got nothing to hide. <laughs> um, w- one of the things I, uh, I'm sort of wondering about with that sort of character design in that you've got kind of, uh, you know, did, was it a, a, a conscious design decision to kind of keep them sort of vague and let players kind of fill in the gaps in terms of these storylines that they make for themselves? Or is that sort of something that was born out of necessity because of a, you're, you're a two-person team um, working uh, in your spare time to make this game? Um, we we do have – we kind of kept it simple in this aspect because we didn't really want to put a story behind these battles as such. We have kept in mind some story and lore that we haven't announced, I suppose, because we will be bringing probably – um, these characters or maybe one of the characters back into um, still a, a larger experience, story-driven experience in the future. So we've kind of just, yeah, got the personality in the faces and letting people fill in the blanks for now. It also does reduce development time, not having our voices or anything like that in game because there's some translation and stuff there where that would certainly take a hit. But I don't think it's really necessary within the game either. Most of the time in a couch co-op experience, I'll dismiss um, the sort of, story or information about characters generally like yeah you just want one that you're just like that's cool and play as that because in the end you just got to jump in and want to start playing the game straight away without any real thought factors or anything else besides having fun you should just go for the best color that's what i always do anything <laughs> with green that's my color i'm going for that um, now andrew if people want to find out a bit more information about the game um when is it going to be sort of available or when are you aiming for it to be available um and um where should people go if they want to check it out yeah, sure. 
sure. So at this point, we're aiming for an early 2018 release. It's a bit vague right now, but we'll announce more about that soon. Um, and you should go to briefbattles.com to find any info, and you can get onto our social platforms from there as well. And you'll find links to all of that stuff in the show notes of this show. Uh, right now, though, we might jump into our final topic. Pixel Sift. <laughs> Pixel Sift. No, seriously, Pixel Sift. <laughs> no, seriously. Pixel Sift. Platform exclusive games and content are nothing new to the industry, but a post by Reddit user Commodore256 has got us thinking. Does the exclusive nature of games like Horizon Dawn, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn and Zelda Breath of the Wild affect our perception and our experience? Scott, I know you've got some big thoughts about this idea. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, I do feel. Uh, I have a bit of story as far as this kind of thing goes. I mean, I was a Nintendo player for a a long time, and it took uh, it took me a little while to jump over to PlayStation, and it was Gran Turismo that did it. Uh, exclusive title, it got platinum, and I saved up all my pe- saved up all my pennies. Um, <laughs> you know, saved up all my chore money and got that. But if it wasn't for Gran Turismo, I wouldn't have swept, switched to PlayStation. It was super appealing and everything because it was like it kind of came out of the you know the stalls, smashed everything out. It was, PlayStation was huge when it came out. Um, but if it wasn't for Gran Turismo, I don't think I would have jumped ship. And similarly, as far as card games taking me wherever they wish, um, I, I very much considered buying the new Xbox because of the uh, Forza. Forza uh, Horizon looks so good. Yeah, right? <laughs> Exclusivity and the fact that it's Australian. I'm a little bit, you know. That, that is pretty cool. A little bit patriotic. but um, Something like that anyway. But uh, Reddit user Commodore256 mentioned that the fact that something is exclusive to a console or any platform might make it, might make someone's opinion of it or might sway someone's view of it in a more positive light because they have invested more time and more money and more of this pretty much soul into the property. Yeah, it's biased. And I completely understand that. So then Breath of the Wild is a perfect example. Um, I already know, well, the only people that we know that own the Switch so far have bought it because of Zelda. Mm -hmm. And, And I don't think anybody would be buying it not for Zelda right now. And in doing that, you kind of commit yourself to it and therefore, you know, you don't want to admit if it was bad, which it's not. But, you know, you, not, none of you would be willing to, you know, admit that it was poor and you made a bad decision, basically. It it does seem like that would kind of influence... You're too far in. You're too far committed. Yeah. Are you trying to say that there's a, a sunk cost in there, Scott? Is that what you're trying to kind of get at? That people are kind of, oh, I've spent $500 on a Switch. I might as well love Zelda because that's the I only think, option I've got. I mean, no, because I think people would buy it for for that. But subconsciously, maybe, yeah. Andrew, what do you think about this thing? It, does a, you know the exclusivity of a title impact how you feel about uh, that particular title? Or, or is it something that you think that sort of doesn't really matter as long as it's kind of available wherever? I don't think it matters. I think it's fine in the end to be exclusive. Like, I'm sure major studios have valid reasons, probably more financial for that purpose. Um, but uh, and for indies as well, I think for exclusivity, they'll be doing it to get the benefits of partnering with one platform to maybe get some extra support and awareness behind them. Um, but then, yeah, I, I do like multi-platform as well, I suppose. But I'm not sure if it does change. They definitely get more ex- positive exposure if you do have an exclusive game from that platform. But... Um, yeah, I guess you end up getting the other win-win of the more um, awareness overall being multi-platform. I don't think it really stops press or anything being honest about games or their flaws. Um, 
so yeah, it's a it's a bit of a mixed one. I don't think it's too much of a problem, but yeah, you definitely do get that positive boost from that one platform, and it's heavily weighted at that time when they first announced. I think one of the things that I, I guess this user was trying to get at was does it does the factor of this um, sort of console tribalism that they kind of talk about, um, where people are like, I'm an Xbox player and I only yeah, play Xbox, it's, or it's I'm, an a, us versus I'm them a PlayStation player and I only play PlayStation. Yeah. Bring on the Nintendo boys. Um, you know, does that have an impact? And I wonder if they're thinking that maybe there is some inherent bias in the way that these reviews are being conducted that people are calling from, you know, a particular perspective. You know what? I wonder if someone from Nintendo Power might be slightly biased <laughs> towards Nintendo titles. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think they're, they're, they're sort of operating things is, is slightly different depending on, on whatever that platform is. Um, personally, I think it's... Um, you know, this is one of these things that, you know, perception is very difficult to understand um, why some people think they bring their own sort of experiences to, to whatever it is and they want to, uh, you know, apply those rules to to the way that the, the world works. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, most people are usually professional enough and they play enough games and, you know, most people I know who are, who are big into gaming will own multiple consoles. I mean, as it stands, we're pretty different because we're, I mean, we're journalists, right? Yeah, that's what we are. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think we, we're, pretty, we're pretty used to thinking pretty objectively. And but yeah, who knows? Absolutely, but yeah. I, I don't own an Xbox. That's true. So I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I so do. Xbox can just get stuff. Well, basically, <laughs> do you know what? And as funny as that yeah. is, that is the kind of mentality you have towards something that you don't have because you, yeah. you're not gonna buy it. You're not gonna buy. It. You're not gonna go out and spend you know this five to plus hundred dollars on the games and the whatever that you already have a console that can do most of those. Maybe not that exact game, but all yeah. the other ones. So. To kind of, you know, shun off that idea, you just kind of blase say, oh, you know, bloody Xbox players, Microsoft, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn. Get a PlayStation or something like that. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. switch shoes. Horizon Zero Dawn has made me look upon my PlayStation 4 quite fondly. Yeah. Well, that's, that's probably a good place to leave it, I think, Mitch, because <laughs> um, uh, we have run out of time for this episode. Uh Andrew, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. We can look forward to your game uh, coming out a little bit long, a uh, little bit in the future. Not that long now. It'll be 2018 before we know it. Yeah, right. Um, Andrew, could we just grab that uh, URL again for people who want to check out uh, Brief Battles? Do it. Yeah, pretty easy. Just uh, briefbattles.com. So, yeah, check it out. Nice and easy. Good SEO nice. there. Um, you can find out our website as well, and I will tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> and that website is www.pixelsift.com.au. Uh, we also have a bunch of older episodes. We have a, a live episode from uh, Oz Comic Con from last weekend. If you didn't get a chance to pop down, you can watch it live and see the fantastic camera work that Scott did when he was putting it together. Oh, I know you guys were there. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, on Pixel Sift. Uh, but Mitch, if we want to find all the episodes, where should people head to? Yeah, as before, you can find them on our website. Um, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Pocket, uh, our podcast on iTunes, Pocket Cast, or using the RSList link on our page. Yeah. And Mitch uh, has told us all about our old episodes. And now, Scott, yep. you're going to tell us about where people can find us on social media. Find us at facebook.com forward slash pixelsift, twitter.com forward slash pixelsift, twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift, and youtube.com forward slash pixelsiftau. That's it. We'll be back again this time next week for a Pixel Sift Plays. Yep. Uh, you can check out what's coming up on our uh, Twitch page where we have the new events feature so you can or subscribe you, and find out. Or if you out. only like the show, which is I find that hard to believe, but if you only like the show... The next one will be on the 13th of April. That's yep. right. Peace out. May your butt reign supreme. May your... <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. DJ.
Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 